Matthew 6, 5 through 8, there is an insert. Uh, it's right here in the bulletin. Now, we've been doing this uh, sermon on the greatest sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're entering into the most famous prayer of all, the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to go, and this is the first part about praying. And then we're going to go into the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, starting next week. And we're really going to break apart that prayer. What is Jesus trying to say in that? But this is the preamble here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those who are believers in Christ, on this sermon. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Came across a really neat book. It's called Dear God, Children's Letters to God. It was, it was this guy who decided to really hear kids' thoughts about God. And so he said, hey, I want you to make a prayer and I want you to write it down in the form of a letter to God. And these were kids, you know, ages 8 to 12. And so I want to share with you some of their letters to God, their prayers to God. Here's a good one from Celia, who's 9 years old. God, can't you make church more fun? What about having a few videos? Just trying to help Celia. How about this one? From Alan, age 8. Uh, age 10, excuse me. I saw the Grand Canyon last summer. Nice piece of work. <laughs> Here's from Ron, age 11. Thanks for the Air Jordans for Christmas. You must be a basketball fan like me. What do you wear? Air Moses? <laughs> we have a Moses here too, but he's big and plays in the NBA. That's being Moses Malone. How about this one from Ralph, age 7. Dear God, I love to eat. Thanks for all the food. Pizza was the best idea you had. How about this with Tom? Tom, age 11. Dear God, how did you get the name Earth? Ever think about changing it? I'd like to see it called Tom's World. <laughs> Dear God, here's Cheryl, age 10. When do you think it's okay to start dating? How old were you when you went out with Mrs. God? Did you kiss her on the first date? Your friend, Cheryl. And this one that's very touching from William, age 10. God, will you be my friend? It won't cost you nothing, and you don't even have to perform too many miracles. From William. You know, it's interesting about prayer, isn't it? Who of us doesn't think about prayer and maybe think to myself, you know, I'd like to have a prayer life. I'd like to have a better prayer life. I'd like to be comfortable like these kids, just sharing my thoughts to God. But prayer can be so uncomfortable, can it? It can be stilted and difficult. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to pray. And so we, we don't. Or we just feel like we have two left feet when we do it. You know, how do we treat prayer? What are we supposed to do with it? Because I think the truth of the matter is how we treat prayer 
reveals what we believe about God. I'll say it again. What we do with prayer reveals what we believe about God. And so in this passage that Jesus has given us, he reveals to us three different attitudes about prayer. And I call these three attitudes the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so as I go through these three attitudes, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what I want to suggest to you is taking a look at yourself and letting these things almost be a mirror. Who, where do I find myself in these three different attributes? Maybe I find myself in all of them. Because how we practice prayer reveals what we believe about God. Well, let's start not with the good, not with the bad, but rather with the ugly. Jesus says this at the beginning of the passage. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, one of the key things that I want you to notice at the beginning, now Jesus is speaking to his disciples and believers, it says, and when you pray. It doesn't say, and if you pray, but rather, and when you pray. That Jesus is saying that prayer is a part of what it means to be a Christian. It's an element. It's, a, it's become part of you, this relationship, if you will, between God and man. And when you pray. You know, when you think about it, what is prayer? How do you define it anyways? And I've tried to distill it down into one phrase. Prayer is simply having an audience with God. Having an audience, having communion, communication with God. Now think a little bit about this concept. We think about God. God is the ultimate supreme being. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence. Remember, let there be light and it was so. He's the one that created all the animals on the earth with simply a word. He's him who is omnipresent. We go to the farthest reaches of the universe, God is there. We go to the bottom of the ocean, God is there. He's omniscient. He knows everything, even the very inmost thoughts of our heart. And he sustains our life by giving us breath, every breath that we take. And yet this God wants to have a communion with us. Listen to how God speaks of himself and his power. This is Isaiah 66, 1. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? And so they came into being. You know, think of it this way. Imagine that you had the opportunity to meet the President of the United States. Now, I don't know your political leanings, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, but at the end of the day, he's the most powerful human on the face of the earth. So imagine if you had the opportunity to have an audience with the President of the United States. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked by the White House, but you know, it has those gates, and there are literally thousands of people, millions of people walk by the White House every year, but none of them get to see the President. Because you can't go and see the President unless he grants you an audience with him. But the president grants an audience on his terms. Can you imagine if you got invited to go see the president and you'd send a thing back saying, look, I, I really got to do some laundry. I, I don't have time to meet with you. Can we do it next week? Or how about this? You walked into the Oval Office and you were wearing cut-off jeans and some flip-flops and you hadn't shaved and you just sort of walked over to the president's desk 
And you put your feet up on the desk and said, hey, Barack, how's it going, my friend? <laughs> President will look at you, what? See, it's on his terms that we get to meet with him. And so Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray on the street corners and the synagogues. Okay, now in Israel in ancient times, there was a custom and tradition, in fact, even a teaching of Moses that said three times a day when the trumpet sounds, wherever you are, you're supposed to turn and face the temple and pray to God. It was a very religious society. And so there were lots of opportunities to pray in front of everyone and be religious, whether on the synagogue or in the street corner. And Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in order to be seen by man. Now, we've talked about this word hypocrite in Greek, which actually was uh, meant you were an actor. A hypocrite was an actor in ancient Israel. They would go ahead and they'd be on stage and they'd wear a mask. They'd wear a facade, if you will, and try to be someone else. See, these people are being hypocrites in order to be seen by man. So what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture is these people are seeking an audience, but not with God. Rather, an audience with man. They're not seeking communion with this God. Rather, they're seeking adulation from the crowd. Now, why are they doing this? Why are they praying, but not really? I can only think of a couple reasons. I think the first one is this, that they don't see God as that important. That whoever this God is, he's far removed from my situation. He, I don't know where he is. I don't really understand what he can do, but he's not important to my life. The second thing may be this. I just don't see a need for him. I've got life covered. I'm taking care of me. Whatever's going to happen is on me. I'm going to take care of it. So I don't see a need for God. And I think this may be the true, the, the most telling thing. I don't pray to God because I don't believe he's going to answer me. I don't believe he's concerned about my life. And so rather, these hypocrites, they choose an audience that can do something. The audience of man. Rather than bowing down to God, they seek to be lifted up above man. See, they're trying to have a two-way conversation, let it look like a two-way conversation, but they're bringing other people in to see how pious they are. they are. Now, is God saying here that there should not be public prayer, only going into your room in secret? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, we just prayed a little while ago together. Now, what God is talking about is the heart. What's behind what you're doing? Seeking a communion with God or with man? What I find very interesting is these people are faking the very thing that they don't do. See, they're acting like they're praying to God, but they're not at all. But they're using prayer and religion as a way to gain respect from people. You know, prayer is really the great test, isn't it? We read this passage earlier, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But you see, rather than seeking the applause of God, they seek the applause of man. But we all know about the applause of man, don't we? How fickle the crowd is. That they can be for you, but then tomorrow the question that our friends and people in the crowd ask is, what have you done for me lately? See, these people 
uh, these hypocrites are believing that man has the power to deal with their circumstances, to do something about it. But the truth is, other people are just as frail as we are. And so they are using religion as a tool. Remember a story, a friend of mine used to work for CBN. And they would have these large prayer meetings where they'd all come together and they would pray together. And Pat Robertson was there. And uh, they were praying and then this guy was praying. Basically he spoke up and he said, I have a word from the Lord for you, Pat. Well, go ahead. And basically he says, the Lord says to you, Patrick, my dear son. And he starts talking and Pat Robertson holds up his hand. He says, time out, this is not from God. And he's like, what? So my name is not Patrick. His name is Marion Gordon Robertson. His nickname is Pat. And so this person was using religion as a stage, if you will, to show his holiness. You know, it's easy to pick on these other guys, these hypocrites and everyone else. But we have to examine our own hearts, don't we? So easy to be religious without really being wholehearted. You know, you may be in the church and a part of the church and there are opportunities to pray, to be in a small group, to demonstrate your spirituality. It's easy to sort of go over that line. But the truth of the matter is that there's a separation between what I do on Sunday and what I do on Monday to Saturday. Indeed, if someone looked at my life and was able to come into my inner world and my inner life, they would see a great disparity between the life I put on on Sunday and the rest of my life. See, how we pray determines what we believe about God. Do we need His assistance? Do we need His help? Do we believe that He exists? And do we believe that He will answer the deepest desires of my heart? So we have to decide, my friends. We have to decide where am I going to get my approval, my applause, and my assistance? Is it from man or is it from God? We must make a decision not to be a hypocrite, but to choose God and set our hopes on Him. For what we do with prayer reveals what we believe about God. Well, this brings me to my second point. Not the ugly, but rather the bad. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Okay, Jesus is speaking as the Gentiles do. And you know, there was a temple on every corner in ancient Greece. And the Gentiles had many gods. They may have had a first god, but they had many gods as well. And they would go to temple, in fact, multiple temples, and they would pray to these gods. And they would practice these elaborate prayers where they would shower these gods with praise. Because they believed that they praised the god enough that the god would hear them and respond to their prayer. This word, many words that Jesus is using in the Greek is Hallelujah. She means many words, a great quantity of words that are being spoken of for some time. Maybe you've heard, you know, a prayer that comes along from someone and it's this beautiful, flowery, flowing prayer. But there's something wrong with it. There's no heart in it. It's just words being heaped up on top of each other. This word about heaped up, these empty phrases, literally in the Greek means babbling. 
Stop babbling again and again and again, heaping up these words which don't make any sense. They're empty phrases. And so we need to understand a couple things. With that first group, the ugly, they're putting on a facade with man. But this second group, the man, man, uh, the bad, they're putting on a facade with God. See, the first group has hypocrisy in their misuse of the purpose of prayer. But the second group has verbosity that's in misuse of the nature of prayer. See, the first group, prayer is a facade. But the second group, prayer is a transaction. God is that eternal ATM machine in the sky. Because it doesn't matter what your heart is. It only matters the skill that you have. The oratory gifts in lauding and praising God. In fact, it doesn't matter what you're praying for or who you are as a person. Just simply what you say. At the end of the day, these people are trying to bribe God. Because they don't believe that God is personal. And that God sees our life. Rather, He's some capricious, vain God. That if we throw Him enough praise, a switch will happen. See, they think they will be heard because of their many words. But prayer is not a transaction. Prayer is an issue of the heart. And Jesus sees the inmost thoughts of the heart. And what God is saying is that you can't play games with me. You can't trick me. You can't utter the right command and I will go ahead and respond once you've figured out the key word. I am the God of the universe, the creator of all things, and I want to meet with you, but I want to meet with you on my terms. Now, if you remember these stories, as a kid, I remember reading uh, the stories Arabian Nights. Remember Arabian Nights? It was a, story, a bunch of Middle Eastern tales like Aladdin and the Magic Lamp. Well, there was another one that I used to read, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Remember Alibaba and the Forty Thieves? There were these 40 thieves. They gathered a bunch of treasure and they put it in a, a, a cave and they shut it with a, a door by magic. And the only way that you could open the door was you had to utter the secret phrase. Remember it? Open sesame. And then you would have to close it. Now why they would name it after sesames, I don't know. That's actually a transliteration from Arabic, but open sesame, and then to close it, you would say, close sesame. And so Alibaba overheard the thieves doing this. And so while the thieves were gone, he went up to the cave and he simply said, open sesame. And the door opened and he had access into all the treasures he could ever want. See, that's our attitude with God when we treat prayer as a transaction. Maybe you have been tempted to treat prayer as a transaction. I need something. And so I'm going to call on this impersonal force, whatever it is. And if I utter the right words, maybe he'll hear me. See, at the core of that is simply this point. I've got to bring something to God. I've got to bring him some offering. Whether it's words that I can somehow convince him to listen to me. Or maybe even actions. Other sacrifices, whether it's time or money. Or conduct, but there's no way that God could actually love me on my own. And so we get into this religious treadmill of trying to figure out that magic word, open sesame, which will bring us to the treasures of God. But the point is, my friends, that we're missing out 
If that's our attitude about God, we're shortchanging God. Because God is so much more than an impersonal God that responds when the right question is given. God has so much more in line and purposes for us than something as simple and shallow as that. And you know, we're also shortchanging ourselves. Because at the core of that, we're really saying, you know what, God couldn't love me for the person that I am. God only loves me if I do something else. But God is saying, I want you to come to me like these little children do, understanding that it's only through faith of a child that you will be granted entrance to the King of Kings. So we must make a decision not to treat God like an ATM machine. We must make a decision to dare to dream that God is interested in me, not because of what I bring, but because of who He is. For what we do with prayer reveals what we believe about God. Well, this brings me to my final group. We've done the ugly, we've done the bad, and now we need to do the good. Jesus says, but when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And do not heap up empty phrases, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus says, the way that I want you to pray is to pray in secret. Go into your room and shut the door. This word in the Greek, the room is a, a tameo, which literally in a house meant the inner room. The storeroom, if you will, which was this windowless room that was in the center of the house. Go into your tamea and shut the door and pray in secret. Now, why would God ask us to do that? Because the truth of the matter is if we do that, there's only one person who can see us. And that's God. By going into that room, what we're saying is, I only seek an audience of one. I seek an audience of you, God. And why would God listen? I know a lot of us struggle with this question. Why would God listen to my prayers if I just simply went into a room and shut the door and prayed to God? The answer is right here. Because it says, go in and pray to your Father who is in secret. See, if the first group treated prayer as a facade and the second group treated prayer as a transaction, the good group treats prayer as a relationship. See, if you're a Christian, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, He's no longer just the God of the universe. He's your Father. John 1.12 says it this way, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so God, the eternal God, the omnipresent God, the all-knowing God, all-powerful God, loves us as a father loves his children. You know, one of the greatest blessings that my parents ever gave me, my father, earthly father, was he loved me. And he was earthly, he made mistakes like anyone else, but I knew that my father loved me. Now, I don't know if you got the opportunity to experience that. Maybe you had a crummy dad. Maybe you never had a dad because he walked out. But maybe you have kids yourself. And you can understand and know the love that a parent has for their children. I love my kids. 
I do anything for my kids. I love my kids because they're mine. And I am their earthly father. And Jesus puts it this way. Asking will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, whatever your situation with your earthly father, whether it left you with blessing or scars, this isn't your earthly father. This is your heavenly father, who's perfect and loving in every way. You know, an interesting thing about this Tameon, this storehouse, was it was also considered the treasure room. This is where you would put your most precious goods because they were a safest from robbers. They were in the center of the house. And what Jesus is saying is when you go into the treasure room, you will discover that the treasure that you're looking for is not just what God can give you, but rather God himself. See, at the end of the day, my friends, we're not looking for stuff. We're looking for him. He is the one that is our deepest heart's desire. You know, it's interesting what it says at the end of this passage. And do not heap up empty phrases, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now that's a strange phrase. If He already knows what we need before we ask Him, why do we have to ask Him? Why doesn't He just do it and we can all go about our business? In fact, we don't need to see Him at all. See, that's the whole point, isn't it? The whole point is God is interested in a relationship with you and me. God uses stuff to show us what we really want is Him. See, we want all this stuff, but what we really need is God in a relationship with Him. You know, when I think about the stuff that I prayed for when I was in my 20s. And as I reflect back upon it, I realize that 90% of the things that I prayed for were wrong. Now the question I have is now that in my 40s, what's the percentage now? See, we don't know what we want at the end of the day. We think we do, but our Heavenly Father knows what we need, which is even more important than what we want. Why? Because He's our Father. And He watches over us. He gives us good things. He guides us and protects us. I remember as a child, I would go to summer daycare uh, during the summer and uh, you know, it was this place where there was a bunch of kids and there were some workers there who watched over us. And there was this one guy. And he was a fun guy. He was a great guy. You know, he just was like this pie piper, you know. And I always wanted to be around him and never did because he was just fun. And he always had little things and, you know, little gifts and little jokes. And so one time, he invited some of us to come over and spend, spend the night. And I thought to myself, wow, this is great. I want to see where this guy lives. I mean, this is fantastic. He invited me as one of the people to come over and spend the night. And so I went home to my family and I said, hey, I, I, I want to go do this. Can I do, do, go do this? And my parents said, no. And I said, well, why not? Why, why can't I? I mean, he's a youth boy, blah, 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 blah. And they said, we don't, we don't know this person. And we're not safe with you going over there. We're not comfortable with that. 
And I pleaded and I cajoled and I begged, but at the end of the day, my parents overruled me and said no. So I was angry and upset and bitter and told them in no uncertain words as a 10-year-old boy. But it was interesting that several months later, the story hit the news that there was a child worker who had been molesting kids. See, I thought my parents were inflexible. I thought they were no fun. He, he went to prison for it. I thought they were no fun. I thought they were a stick in the mud. They didn't understand what it was that I wanted. But they knew exactly how to protect me, watch it. Because they cared for me. And the truth of the matter is my relationship at the end of the day grew from being denied what I wanted. Because I realized that my parents loved me. And they can see better than I can. See, we don't know how to run our lives. We think we do, but we don't. What we need is a heavenly Father. So how do we do this? How do we turn the corner and pray to God? There's only one way that the scriptures say we're able to look at the Father as our Father. We must look to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of the Heavenly Father. Jesus was the only one in the history of the world that came into the world and called God, not our Father, but my Father. Because Jesus knows the Father, He can show us the way to the Father. He can guide us to the Father, even if we've been estranged from Him. Jesus knows the way because He created it. Jesus is not only the guide to the Father, He's the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Because to bring us, who are enemies of God, into God's presence as His children, to bring us near to God, He had to go far away. He had to leave heaven at the side of His heavenly Father and to come and be a man. In order to make us sons, He had to become one who was disowned by Christ, disowned by God on the cross when the sins of us were laid on Him. You know, the only place in the New Testament where God doesn't call God His Father is on the cross. And He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the only way we can go into the inner room and see the treasure of God is because He went into the grave, the secret chamber, where He paid the price for our sins. And then he emerged in the resurrection. It's Jesus that makes us adoptable, acceptable, even adorable. Jesus makes us his children. So do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? The one who brings us to the Father, the one who gave all that we might be God's children. Do you know the one the God-man Jesus, our elder brother, who brings us to the Father. If you are a Christian, you have the greatest privilege of all, an audience with God, your heavenly Father. So bring in your requests, bring in your fears, bring in your hopes, just bring yourself. Not elaborate prayers or rituals, just the simple faith of a child. Don't choose the praise of men. Choose an audience with the Father. Go into that storeroom in your house, wherever it is. 
Just you, the Bible, and Him. And open up the Word of God. If you don't know where to start, start with the book of Matthew. If you don't know any of this stuff, give me a call and we'll sit down. But God will speak to you in His Word. And you will find yourself speaking to Him. You know, as God and disciples going to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. Because we don't know. If you go into the treasure room, I guarantee you this. He'll meet you there. Because what we do with prayer reveals what we believe about God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the simplicity and beauty of it. Because you invite us to come into your presence not with great gifts, not with great words, not even with great character. Rather simply to come thirsty and empty as a child. We thank you that you know all of the things that we need even before we ask. We thank you that you care about us. And I pray for the people in this room Lord, that they would grasp this concept that if they're not believers, Lord, that they would take that step of surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. That God, the God of the universe, might become their heavenly Father. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.